offline uh, preaching schedule weeks in advance. Uh, if nothing else, just to keep ourselves on track, right? But uh, we're thoughtful about how we uh, plan and prepare for the, the preaching ministry. And so our Easter celebration several weeks ago uh, was grand and glorious. And then after that, we've been talking about the kingdom of God, looking at that one passage uh, in uh, the book of Acts. For 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus gave many convincing proofs that he was alive and spoke with his disciples about the kingdom of God. And so we have been, in these 40 some odd days, been speaking about the kingdom of God with you. And today we will be reading from Revelation chapter 11. Uh, that's our plan, and we planned this out some time ago, but we never quite know what is going to happen in the world, what will be in the headlines uh, what, will, um, what will shake out uh, when we're making our preaching plans. And so we want to stick with the plan and, and talk about uh, the kingdom of God with you from uh, the book of Revelation. But uh, as we talked this week, we thought it would be helpful to have a pastoral conversation around this passage, particularly in light of the tragedy that took place uh, in, in Texas this week, to think about that in light of the kingdom of God, okay? And so uh, if you haven't already, may I invite you to turn to page 1925 and want to read uh, chapter 11, beginning verse 15, down through the end of the chapter. And you see where it says the seventh Trumpet. That is where we're going to pick up. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant, and there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a severe hailstorm. Hmm. Friends, the word of God. Let, let, let's take a moment to pray. Father, we're glad to be able to come to uh, a sanctuary in freedom and peace and safety. But we come with heavy hearts, with tears, with frustrations, with anxiety over what has happened this week again. And we cry out on behalf of those who weep this day with tears we do not understand. 
And we cry out on behalf of these families, these precious children, these teachers, this community. And we cry out on our behalf as well, our children, our grandchildren. Some of us go into schools every day, and perhaps face the prospect. And so, Lord, have mercy, have mercy, protect us, keep us, but help us in these moments of gathering around your word to to have ears that hear. Give us those ears, Lord. Give us eyes that see our world and, and yet your kingdom coming into this world. But give us hearts now that are open and tender and soft to your word, to your voice, to your truth, to your kingdom. And so be present among us to be our teacher as we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, so I think it best, as, as Eric and I talked, I want to talk about the passage briefly, and I think it provides, interestingly, a, a, a backdrop for uh, the, the, the conversation I think we want to have. If you've read the book of Revelation, you know that it's action-packed. It's quite dramatic. You know, if you've got your Bible open, the very next thing is the woman and the dragon, okay? So there's a lot going in. How many of you read the book of Revelation before? How many of you have started and said, not me? <laughs> it's, it's, it's an interesting uh, book. It's quite dramatic. John, who writes this, this is John the Apostle. He's in exile for his faith, okay? So he's a prisoner of conscience, if you could say it that way. It's probably in the early 90s AD, so the events of, you know, Easter, you know, the cross and the resurrection are now decades in the past. He's an old man now, but he's been bearing faithful witness, and because of that, he's in exile, a uh, little island of Patmos. Uh, the Christian church is experiencing great hostility. The church is being persecuted. Uh, we've talked about the Apostle Paul prior to being an apostle. He was a persecutor. He was convinced he needed to stamp out this movement. John, while on the island of Patmos, goes to church. It's on the Lord's Day. And he has a vision, a, a revealing, a, what we call a revelation. Okay, And so God reveals to him much. There's a throne room. There is a throne, one seated on the throne, and there is a lamb who looks as if he has been slain but is alive again. We're to understand that, obviously, is Christ. There are 24 thrones around that central throne on which are seated 24 elders representing the 12 tribes of the Old Covenant and 12 apostles of the New Covenant. The people of God are there gathered around. There are living creatures and there are angels. How did our call to worship have it? Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. Somebody do the math on that. What is that number? Okay. <laughs> they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. Okay. So... So the action is centered on this throne room, this throne, these 24 elders keep falling down and worshiping these living creatures. And there are angels. And 
What we have here is at the end of a series of trumpet blasts that seven angels have been given these trumpets. The angels we understand to be messengers. That, that's the meaning of the word angel. They are messengers. They announce God's activity in the world as they're blowing these trumpets. Scholars debate whether the angels are executing the activity of God or are they simply announcing things that are going on in the world. They're announcing what's happening. Judgment and redemption. They're announcing judgment and redemption. We have to keep both of those uh, in play. And so these series of trumpet blasts, I won't take you through all the readings, but if you go back to the previous chapters, there's fire and there's hail and there's uh, mountains being thrown into the sea. Stars are falling from the sky. The sun and moon and the stars are changing colors. Um, there's, there's signs in the heavens. An abyss opens up. There is great calamity and suffering. There are horses with riders on them and the horses ride out and there is great destruction. This is why a lot of folks just, you know, I don't want to read that book. Some scholars believe that what this is speaking of is human history. That the human family experiences great calamity, great misery, great suffering. And yet over all of that, there is one who reigns. At the end of the sixth trumpet blast, before we get to the seventh trumpet here, there's a line that says, but the rest of mankind still did not repent. They continued to worship their demons and their idols. They engaged in murders, immorality, and theft. A fair summary of the human family, right? and our activity but the rest of mankind all of this activity all of this misery is supposed to lead people to repent to turn to god to embrace uh, the savior but they did not and so the seventh angel blows his trumpet and when he does that there are loud voices in heaven the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Cue, where's Lon? Cue the hallelujah chorus, right? And he shall reign. That's, this passage is where Handel's Messiah, that, the hallelujah chorus that we love, is coming from this passage. Hmm. And so the 24 elders fall down in worship again. They are joyful. They are glad. There is a confident declaration. And he shall reign forever and ever. Thanks. We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your power and have begun to reign. And so this is a joyful affirmation and celebration. Finally, there is going to be an end to all of this human misery and all of this evil, all of this wickedness, all of this pain, all of this suffering, one day will end. John sees it. And it's a good thing. But it's rough. But it's rough. 
Okay. That's your backdrop. With this as our backdrop, both by context for what's going on in the passage, but by way of content, we stand with the Apostle John. That there will be an end to human evil one day. We haven't seen it yet. But we stand with the Apostle John that human misery and pain and suffering and wickedness and evil and murders and immorality and theft one day will be put to an end. And so we want to have a pastoral conversation about a couple. We've got a little whiteboard here if you all can't tell that. But how in the world can Christians claim that there is a God, there is a Jesus, there is a Savior, there is a kingdom that is in control of this world in light of what happened this week, in light of what happened the previous week in Buffalo uh, and out in uh, California and the week before and the week before and the week that is getting ready to come. Who knows what's going to happen this week? But we know there will be some calamity, right? There'll be some thing that happens. So how in the world can Christians claim there was a God who was control after a tragedy such as the Uvalde, Texas shooting? And this is why I brought Eric here, because I want him to answer the question. <laughs> that's a little I gave him warning. That's I a said, little unfair. You but, like that? Uh, well, first of all, as I've been sitting with that question, and you did fair, fair enough, let me know that it was coming. Uh, in, the, in the midst of it, it doesn't feel like there is a satisfying answer to that question. Yep. And this is why if you, you know, read the Psalms, pray the Psalms, there's so much people in the midst of mm. crisis and hurt and pain and in the face of evil crying out to God, where are you, you know? within our prayers is contained this longing for God to make things right the way that he's promised, but things are not right yet. And so, you know, when, when something like what happened this week happens, uh, it, it amplifies Mm. for all of us this crying out because we can imagine what it would, we can't imagine everything, but our hearts ache with what it could be like were that to happen to us. So yeah. the, the whole world kind of resonates with this crying out, God, where are you in the midst of this? Um, but every single day, every single hour, every single minute, somebody is going through something that causes them to cry out in this yeah. way. What happened this week is tragic and horrible, and, and it's, um, it amplifies it for all of us. But the reality is that we live in a world in which evil and death come mm. at us mm. every single day. Every day. Every day. Yeah. So, I'll ask the question, question back. So, if that's the case, it's not just last week. It is last week, but it's not just last week. It is every day of our lives. Where is God mm-hmm. in the midst of that? And how do we respond as Christians in the face of the evil? Right. Do, do, we, do we give up our faith? Is that, the, is that the faithful and right response? Oh, we just we give up on this whole thing. I, I don't think so. 
And so there's something in this text uh, that is significant. The kingdom of the world will become the kingdom of our, our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign, that is Christ. God will reign forever and ever. And so while it's happening, while the tragedies and evils happen, we weep. I mean, this is the right yeah. response. Absolutely. We offer our prayers. You know, much is made, and, and it's happening again. The anger at those who offer thoughts and prayers. Well, absolutely, I'm going to continue to pray, and we're trying to think. We need to think hard about this stuff, and that's our, our commitment. And so we have to understand that the kingdom of the world has set itself against the kingdom of God. The kingdom of the world defies God. It rejects God. You have to stretch back to the Garden of Eden. And so we're in the book of Revelation, but what we're talking about here stretches back all the way to the beginning of the human family. When sin entered, so did tragedy. When Adam and Eve chose to reject and rebel against God, there was great consequence. And it erupted in their own family as their son Cain rose up against their other son Abel and put him to death. And the human family has been, in, been engaging in such activity all the way up to the present. Murder is in the human hearts. And it's a sad reality. That the kingdom of the world, see, the kingdom of the world defies God, it denies God, it defies the truth. That the kingdom of the world says the most important thing about you is your identity group. The most important thing about you is your identity group. It's your, it's your race, it's your skin color, uh, it's your political tribe. Um, um, it's your uh, economic class, it's your, it's your sex or gender. It, it, this is the way the world defines. The most important thing about you are these items. Nothing to do with God, nothing to do with your identity as an image bearer. And so the world, the kingdom of the world defies and rejects that there is a God who's involved at all. That's not even allowed to enter the conversation. And so the kingdom of the world, having excluded God, reduces the problems of the world to fights between people of different identity groups. Hmm. And so the solutions to the problems of the world are to come against the wrong kind of identity groups and lift up the right kind of identity groups and we'll fix things. Friends, is that the answer? We, we know that. We know that's a lie. And so the kingdom of the world goes forward by, by power. Mm. Not by suffering, not by sacrifice, but by power and exercise of, of, of force. Physical power, dominating others. We're seeing this with Russia and Ukraine, right? We're just going to march on in and we're going to take you over. Or political power. And that's how our country does the fights, right? And so the world thinks that you can legislate evil away. Friends, we can, whatever legislation should be passed, I, I wouldn't be qualified to speak on that. But let's pass all the best legislation. Is it going to end? Is it going to stop human evil and tragedy? No. 
because murder is in the human heart mm. from the garden on. Mm. The kingdom of the world says these things. The kingdom of God says what's most important about you is your identity, but it's not your identity group. It's your identity as an image bearer of God. Every one of you, these children, you are precious, you are special. You bear the image of the glorious God. And you are one for whom God's own son gave his life. That's who you are. You're an image bearer. You are a fallen but redeemed creature, image bearer of God. You are precious in the sight of the Lord. The kingdom of God declares that your baptized identity is the most significant identity, that you've been washed, you've been included, you are beloved, you're welcome at this table, you're in the family. That's what the kingdom of God says. And so the kingdom of God says that there is a solution to the problems of the world, but it's not through power, it's going to be through sacrifice. I have sent my son to provide for what the world needs. And then gathering around that son is a community who proclaims the name of that son. And as we embrace him, we become part of a new society. This is what we've been talking about in our Ephesians study, God's new society. It's not about Jew or Greek, male or female, slave or free. It's not about race, class or gender. That's what the kingdom of the world says, right? Or at its worst, the kingdom of the world also says it's about you. So, I mean, that, that it's, at its core is what you want for yourself. That is the most important thing. And if you, if you begin with that reality that there is no God and it is all about me, and maybe I extend that to my identity. To my group, tribe. Right. It devolves into this battle between us and them, right. me and my enemy. And, and at, its, at its worst, we get what we saw this last week. At, 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 the root of, at the heart of evil is, I take away the life of someone else Correct. for me, for me, to make it about me. And that's what Adam and Eve did when they yep. took of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They placed themselves at the center of the universe. Mm -hmm. I will be the one to determine right and wrong. I will judge good and evil. So, you know, back to that question you asked, how in the world can we say that there is a good God in the midst of this? It is because there is a good God that we rejected, that yes. we are in this place. And so what happens this week, what happened this week, um, it is horrific and we can't imagine participating in it. And yet on some level, every single one of us have done similar kind mm. of damage mm. to other people and at our worst, we're capable of it. Yeah. It, so, really, how can God, how can a good God suffer me, you know, us, the, the reality of who humans are, what cap humans are capable of doing? How can a good God stand? I think it was Solzhenitsyn who said that the line between good and evil does not run between nations. It runs mm. in the human heart. Every one of us is capable of great evil, and we engage in great evil. Oh, yeah. maybe not with guns shooting people up, but with our words and yeah. other actions. And so we proclaim a kingdom of God, a God who sends his own son, who uses the murderous tendencies of the human family to accomplish 
the redemption of that human family. For what sin did Jesus die? He is innocent. And so he was murdered, right? At the hands of the Roman Empire, at the hands of the, 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 the ruling uh, religious authorities, at the hands of one of his own friends, Judas, betrayed him. And so, but in the genius of God, he tramples down death by death. <laughs> he tramples down evil by evil. By the evil that was done to him, the kingdom of God is now growing among us. And that's that kingdom that is already here, but not yet fully consummated. And so we weep, we pray, we love, we sacrifice, but we proclaim Jesus. So whatever conversations you're going to have this week with folks about this situation and whatever the next situation that unfolds, and people think that legislating this or that or attacking this group or that group, use that as an opportunity to lift up the name of Jesus as the only answer, the only answer for the evil and brokenness of this world. Now I want to segue real quick to what I thought I was going to talk about and what we were going to talk about today. That on this noble weekend, when we remember those who have given their lives, um, Christians are coming under significant criticism in our nation for a love of this flag, a support of brave men and women, um, of, of concern for our country. The, the, the phrase is Christian nationalism. Some of you may have been hearing about that. And, and real briefly, because we're attentive to the time, we, we, we want to, there's a difference between earnest, faithful patriotism and a nationalism that can be can be uh, harmful um, this is memorial day we honor and remember those who have given their lives in service to our country to keep us a free people but if you believe that's important to pray for those families and to live nobly into what our the ideals of our constitution and of our country are about, that does not make you a Christian nationalist. The word patriot actually comes from the word pater or patros, which is father, of the fathers. A patriot is one who honors the traditions and the legacies and the nobility of our fathers, of our forebears. But a patriot isn't unaware that the forebears had faults and flaws. A Christian patriot understands these scriptures right mm -hmm. <laughs> that we are all flawed and faulted and so we don't believe otherwise around the, the founding of our nation but we believe that our fathers and mothers the forebears have left us a legacy that is noble and good and right and so we try to live towards that but a christian patriot understands something that the kingdom of God transcends country. So a Christian patriot can honor their country. There's nothing wrong about honoring one's country, the traditions, the customs of one's, of one's own nation. There is nothing wrong or immoral about that. 
But Christian nationalism has a different, or nationalism has a different understanding. As Christians, we understand that the kingdom of God transcends nations, right? There is no Jew, no Greek. But the kingdom of God has men and women, boys and girls from every nation, language, tribe, tongue. So we don't think the kingdom is our nation, but the nationalist. Yeah, there's a, there's a mistaken belief that, that the country of which we're a part is the kingdom of God and that it's our job to then expand the boundaries of our kingdom throughout the world. That has been tried throughout history and always ends badly. There's a, there's a darkness when we tie the kingdom of God to a particular nation. To one nation. Yeah. yeah. And so we, we're going to plant some seeds and maybe there's some further conversation around that, that that we might want to have. Had intended to maybe go a little further, but the, the, the shooting this week, I think, so, took a higher priority. So as Christians, how, how do we... <clears throat> You know, what do we do? You, you mentioned earlier that, that pushback that people have made mention of this week, that just to say that we pray is not enough, just to proclaim is not enough. What do we say in the face of that, but you're not doing anything about mm-hmm. it? You know, how do we respond? Yeah, uh, the, the response is that evangelism is actually the the proper response to the evils of the world Hmm. to invite people to embrace jesus christ as lord and savior to be able to then join a community a society that transcends nations right so we we do not cease being americans and we do not cease loving our, our 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 country and seeking to amend its faults and flaws but when we embrace jesus christ we become part of a new society that transcends human uh, kingdoms and nations but when we uh, join ourselves with jesus christ we become part of the kingdom of god which reigns over the kingdom of the world and we lift up that legislation as important as it is and let's labor towards uh, some good end and protection and safety measures but we are not going to be deceived that that is going to solve we live in the we acknowledge that evil is real and we need to so speaking is doing something certainly contact your legislator as you wish i will not guide you in any manner uh, that that is for your individual conscience before god but let us speak the reality that evil does not go away evil is in the human heart and god has provided an answer for the evil of the human heart has taken the evil of the human heart and kind of in a jujitsu judo move has taken the evil and through the death of his own son. And so let us invite people to follow Jesus as the Christ. And, and what you talked about with the kids, that, that desire to live well, yep. to follow the commands of God, the ways of Jesus, in a way that is a blessing to other people. When we live well, we impart that to the people who are around us, starting with our own family and our children if we have children, but to the world around us, when we live well, we influence other people. And so, you know, there is an evil in us. We talked about that earlier. That evil is being overcome in us by the Spirit of God at work in our lives. So live fully into 
that calling to be a follower of Jesus such that you become more and more a blessing to other people. And hold no man or woman in contempt who has a different skin color than you, than a different a nationality or birth certificate than you, uh, who has a different political affiliation than you, who has a different uh, economic class or interest than you. Hold no person in contempt, for they are an image bearer and they are one for whom Christ has died. We do that also as, as witnesses to Jesus. And so the kingdom of God, this, this will wrap up our, our short series on the kingdom, but we want you to know that when we read about the kingdom and we talk about the kingdom, this is a joyful proclamation, it's a glad proclamation. This is not wistful like, oh, I wish the kingdom would come. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. And so we give our best attention uh, to, to honor our God and to worship King Jesus. The, the, the kingdom of God, as we speak of it, is full of hope and, and assurance and confidence that the evil and brokenness and suffering of this world one day will be put to an end. We insist on that. We insist on that. And we clarify that the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God are different and the kingdom of the world will one day overwhelm all of these kingdoms. And he, that is Jesus, shall reign forever and ever. And so let us live those noble, wise, faithful lives. Amen? And amen. Lord, hear our prayer. Take the truths, these strange but deep truths that we read in the book of Revelation. Make them a, a deeper reality in our own understanding and help us to be faithful evangelists and bear witness to truth as we go from this place today into this new week. That we might be those who show by our lives, by our love, by our sacrifice and service and our prayers that there is a kingdom of God that is coming and there is a Jesus who reigns forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Let's close by...